0: Several weeks ago, I asked Jeremy to sing that song that is uh, sung by Coldplay, because I think it describes how a lot of us feel about life at different moments in time, right? I mean, life in this world can just feel heavy at moments, and, and if we're all honest with ourselves, we all have regrets. We would probably all uh, go back and do some things differently in our life That song was written back in 2005 by Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, and and it was a way that he was coping with some loss and change and and pain in his life as he did some reflection on his past, and and I think that describes how, again, a a lot of us would do things differently, right? Right? I mean, if you could just have one more conversation with him, if you were just married to her, again, if you could have kept yourself from getting pregnant, then you could have saved yourself from a lot of pain and anger, frustration, medical bills, sleepless nights, and attorney fees. And yet one of the painful realities of life in this world is that it doesn't come with a rewind button, doesn't it? And we, if we wanted, if we could, we would take ourselves up on a second chance, and, and yet we're rarely given that opportunity, especially when we're the ones to blame for different mistakes in our life, different mistakes in our past, and, and there's just something about the lyrics of that song that describe this world in which we live in, and we know at the end of the day that, that something's not right, there's this hunger, there's this desire deep within us to live in something more, something better, a place where there is no darkness or pain and suffering. And for the past month or so here at Crossroads, we have been looking at how we really were designed originally from the beginning to be a part of a world of creation where there was no darkness, pain, suffering, or, or evil. And chances are that when I say the word heaven, the different images or uh, maybe beliefs and opinions that come to mind, it's just nothing short of just being lame for a lot of us, Right? I mean, somewhere along the way, we bought into this idea of heaven uh, not being all that exciting, and we're so focused on life here and now, we're trying to uh, do it for what it's worth, make life count for what it's worth, because we don't want to go to that place, it's not all that exciting and, and thrilling and And yet, if boredom is what comes to mind when we think about heaven, the idea that we've been looking at in this series is that your your misconceptions about heaven, it it probably didn't originate with God. It didn't originate with what we find in the Bible. No, somewhere along the way, we've been ripped off by this lessened version of of heaven that is actually not at all accurate according to what the Bible tells us about what's to come for all followers of Jesus. Now, last week, we uh, looked at how what we think about heaven is really closely tied to what we think about Jesus. Those, those two beliefs, our opinions about Jesus and heaven, are closely tied together. Now, what I mean by that uh, is this. I'll give you an example. Okay, Because heaven has kind of been undersold over the course of, of several years, decades, or even centuries, Okay, we think that it doesn't have much relevancy to our life today. And, and so as a result, we end up procrastinating certain decisions here and now by show of hands. How many of you are procrastinators by nature? You're just a professional at this. All right. Yeah, join the club. We could start maybe a support group here in the fall or something. All right. And so it's because this this idea of heaven being something that's relevant to us after we die, we don't think that it has much bearing upon us here and now. Therefore, our view of Jesus and our relationship with God is kind of like this insurance policy where Jesus is the policyholder that keeps us from facing judgment, hell, right? If I were to ask some of you why you are a Christian today, if you were honest, you would go back to this moment in time where you said, well, I... I didn't want to go to hell, right? And so we think that, that Jesus, he, he really only has impact upon our life after our death. And so until that moment comes, it, it's upon us. It's up to us. And, and so there's this idea that, that, that heaven and Jesus, it, it, it's something of tomorrow, but it, it doesn't really have much bearing upon life today. Life is painful. It, it sometimes stinks, and, and yet it's upon us to get through it, to make things work, right? Right? And so Jesus, he's only relevant to you after you die. And he's kind of that one who, who helps you make the cut at the end of the day so that you can live in this supposed paradise because that's better off than hell. And yet what if, what if Jesus, what if he offers something much greater or more than that? I mean, what if this idea of heaven isn't something that, that we can anticipate for the future, but it's actually a reality that, that we can live in right now? Well, what do I mean by that? Well, let me, let me ask the question this way, okay? What if heaven isn't just a place where we will live in the future? It's not just this place we go to once we die, but it's a reality that we can experience right now. Now, if that were the case for you, what would change? I mean, would you respond to Jesus any differently? So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a certain passage of Scripture that that talks about this new life of bringing heaven to earth, what that can look like for us. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the New Testament book of Romans. Okay. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a black Bible in the seat right in front of you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel or you're listening online, uh, words will be up on the screen. But if you're in the chapel, uh, one of those Bibles should be on the table as you walked in a moment ago. Romans can be found towards the back of your Bibles in between the books of Acts and 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 6 today, uh, right in in verse 1. Now, as you're turning there, you need to know that this is really a letter that was written during the first century, written by a guy named Paul. And and he was addressing some Christians who were facing some difficulty and pain in life. And and they could have really identified with the lyrics of that Coldplay song because they were constantly in this state of of tears and, and crying. And they had a lot of regrets. They would have done things differently. And so one of the main themes of this letter is that one day God is gonna come back and he's gonna recreate a better place for us to live, a better paradise for us to call home because this world full of pain and darkness, it's not how God originally intended for us to live. We were the ones who really messed that up and and at the end of the day, our bodies naturally tell us that, right? I mean, nobody ever ages towards being ripped, you know what I mean? No, the older we get, the more back hair we develop, and the you know, the weaker we get, and the more we lose sight, and we don't hear as well. You see, that's evidence that we need a, a solution. We need something greater to, to help save us. And this actually goes back to the fact that uh, when God first created the world, when he first created the heavens and the earth, our very first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to basically say, hey, God, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to kind of do things on our own. They ran from God. And so as a result of that decision to find significance and worth and value in something other than God alone, all of a sudden, this this world was fractured. It, It was cursed, the Bible says. And so all around us, we see the evidence of that curse. And so because our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled and and turned their backs on God, we're born with that natural tendency as well. And if you don't think that that we are born with this nature to sin, you've never been around a two-year-old before, okay? (laughs) And so what does this new life that God can supposedly bring to us here and now look like? If, If heaven really isn't something of the future, but it's something we can live in right now, what does that look like? And so in chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Paul's going to describe this tension of living in a broken world and yet the hope of heaven here and, and in the future as well. Pick up with me in verse 1. He, here's what he says. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so the grace may increase? Shall we go on keep, and keep living the way that we want? By no means, Paul says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, just a few verses later, Paul described what Jesus offers us as as a new life, okay? And and throughout these few verses, he uses baptism, the act of baptism, as an illustration of this new life that Christ provides here and now. But what does all this really mean, right? I mean, how how do I know that that I'm ready for this? What's the evidence of that? Well, for the next few moments, what we're going to do is we're just going to identify some statements that clarify uh, those of you who are ready for this new life All right, these statements also describe what happens when you are baptism, what what baptism actually symbolizes and illustrates when we do that, okay? And so according to verses 1 through 2, here's the first statement we make that shows us that we're ready for this new life. It goes like this, I don't want to be who I have been. I don't want to be who I've been. In other words, I'm not proud of who I've become in life. I I didn't dream of becoming this person or doing that. See, over the centuries, there's no telling how many people have rejected Jesus in this new life that that he offers. And and while everyone has their reasons, when, when you get down to it, every reason is the exact same. You see, the only thing that stands between you and the hope of a better future is simply acknowledging that only Jesus can give you what you need most. Why is that so hard for us to admit? Why is that so hard for us to get to that place? Pride. You see, admitting that you need a Savior is another way of saying that you have failed, you've fallen short, you don't measure up, even when you gave it your best shot. In other words, you can't fix yourself no matter how hard you try. I think a lot of us, we stay away from Jesus or we've avoided the church for a long time for the same reasons that we maybe avoid the dentist, okay? Anybody in here just look forward to going to the dentist when you know it's on the horizon? Anybody? Yeah, none of us, okay? Okay. Now, we avoid going to the dentist. Why? Well, because it's somewhat of a painful experience, yet there's also this thought in the back of our minds that if they take an x-ray of my teeth, it's going to reveal some cavities or maybe I'll have to have a root canal, right? And so we avoid going to the dentist at all costs. But every good dentist, he or she is not only going to identify the problem, identify the issue, but what a dentist is going to do is also provide the solution as well. Now, suppose you walked out of here and later today you got this numbing or this ringing pain in, in, in one of your, your teeth and it just wouldn't go away and it was excruciating, right? And then you actually felt that tooth and it was a little bit loose, all right? You really have two options. You could go to the dentist and, and have him or her figure it out, fix it, or I suppose you could just take a bunch of Tylenol and numb yourself so that you could get to this point where you forget that the pain's even there, Right? But how wise would that really be? I mean, does it really make sense to just take Tylenol so that you can't feel the problem or the issue at hand so that you can avoid the dentist going through that painful process all the more? I mean, would that really get you to a better place where you can use your teeth the way that they were intended to be used? No. No. Now what's interesting is that earlier in Romans chapter 5, Paul says that because we have naturally run from God, we've turned our backs on him, death reigns in us. Now that sounds a little bit drastic, a little bit polarizing, but what he, means by, what he means by that is this, that our sin, our tendency to do things on our own, it not only makes us deserving of death, separation from God, but even before we die, there's this pain that we constantly feel that feels like death. And so in other words, this problem, this toothache that we have it causes us to experience frustration. It leads to hopelessness, feelings of, of worthlessness and, and depression. That, that's what it means for death to reign inside of us. Now, if we're all honest with ourselves, we are a culture that has trained ourselves to deal with this pain, to deal with the issue of our sin by just numbing ourselves, by distracting ourselves from the real issue, by just taking a bunch of Tylenol in hopes that, that, that we don't have to deal with the issue at hand. And so for some of us, that may look like working longer hours at at the workplace because you think, well, I'm just one promotion away from happiness. Or maybe you jump from relationship to relationship because you fear being lonely and you don't want to experience those feelings of emptiness again. Or or some of us, we've responded to this pain by just doing a bunch of good works and and a bunch of good things and submitting ourselves to religion so that we can boost our self-esteem And yet, what if when we look back, we realize that we've just been doing the same things over and over again, yet we've been expecting different results. Will change ever really happen that way? Several years ago, I was having a breakfast with a friend of mine named Michael at uh, uh, Cracker Barrel, and and we were just talking about life, and um, he hadn't yet really made a decision for Jesus, and he hadn't chosen to to follow him. And and something he said in the middle of that conversation really caught me off guard. He said, you know, Patrick, I I just got to tell you that that I've been a really good person my entire life. I've been a very ethical businessman. I mean, my reputation kind of precedes me. I have a lot of integrity. I've always actually been pretty generous with the church. I've always been generous with my time. My wife and I, we've tried raising a bunch of of good kids. He, He said, but it wasn't until recently I realized that none of that, none of that is enough. None of that is enough. No, if I want this fresh start and this new beginning, it's not going to happen because of what I do. No, my only hope is, is through Jesus. And so here's the thing. God doesn't expect us to do something that's impossible for us to do. We can't save ourselves, we can't undo our past. All of us are desperate, whether we know it or not, to become this new creation here and now in this broken world. Now, none of us have our stuff together, we're all broken, we're all sinful, we're all flawed. And someone recently emailed me and said, you know, I've heard a lot of pastors say before that they are sinners, but I never actually believed any pastor until I met you. Thank you, yeah, appreciate that Bob, yeah. None of us have our stuff together, all right? And yet when we're baptized, what that represents is that we know that, and yet we're acknowledging we, we have to have a fresh start. That, that's where our hope lies is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And so for the several people who have already been baptized this weekend, they literally have stepped into the water believing different lies about themselves, believing that they are nothing more than a drunk, a meth addict, a poor mom, an absent dad, all right? Someone who's maybe been lazy, who's a dropout, this and that, and yet when they come up out of the water, they're basically admitting, but you know what? I've now found a better identity in Jesus and Jesus alone, because it's Christ and Christ alone who can take away those labels, who can take away those things that have been projected onto us or that we've believed about ourselves. Baptism represents this fresh start in this new beginning. And that's why there's water involved. You see, in the ancient world, baptism was a, was a purification act, okay? It represented a cleansing that took place. It was washing away the old, and it was bringing on the new. Now, understand, you don't need to get your life together before you're baptized, okay? You don't need to fix this relationship or, or deal with that issue before you're baptized. Sometimes there's that tendency. People will ask me, you know, uh, do, do I need to have some stuff figured out? Do I need to uh, get to this place where I have no more doubts or no more questions or not make this mistake again? And the answer is no. You don't clean yourself up before getting into a shower, right? Let me ask you, you ever been to a public pool before? And right as you walk in through the gate, you see that sign that says, please shower before entering the pool? Yeah, it seems kind of pointless, right? It's pointless for our family because when our kids swim, that is their shower for the week, all right? <laughs> and so there's no sign like that backstage, all right? No, if anything, you're admitting when you're baptized, hey, I've tried cleaning myself up, but it didn't work. And yet I, I, I found the one, i bumped into the one who, who can take care of me, and, and it's Jesus. Take a look at uh, verse 3. Paul says "Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, let's pause right there for a minute. Whenever baptism is modified in the last half of the Bible, the New Testament, sometimes we see it as as baptism into Jesus, into Christ Jesus. Why is that? Well, I want you to notice that, that Paul right here doesn't say that we're baptized into a church, all right? He doesn't say, hey, you're baptized into a denomination. You're not baptized into your pastor. Why is that? Because none of those things can save you. No, it's Jesus and Jesus alone who can save us. Church attendance, obedience, even the act of baptism itself is not what saves us. The Bible tells us that it is by grace that we have been saved. And so baptism is our response that, hey, I'm choosing to believe that that is true for me because that is what I need most in this life. And so here's the second statement we make whenever we're baptized. It goes like this. I give up control. I give up control. Well, this new life is a free gift that we can't earn, understand that it will cost you everything that you have after after your baptism. Baptism signifies that, that you no longer belong to yourself. You see, since Jesus has the power to save us and actually defeat death, that means that he probably also has the authority to determine how we should live. Now, for some of us, baptism represents the starting point in your journey with Jesus. Others of us, you've maybe been a Christian for a while, but you've just never been baptized. You've never followed through with that. And yet there's something about the act of baptism itself. It represents what a journey, a life with Jesus, will look like for you in the future. What do I mean by that? You see, following Jesus is a call for us to give up control and to surrender. It goes back to this fancy Bible word, repent, Now, when some of us hear that word repent, we immediately think of some angry dude standing on a sidewalk on the side of the road with a big sign and a megaphone and the other repent, turn or burn, all right? But it's just a word that simply means to think differently, all right? Throughout the Bible, when the word repent is used, it means to change directions. And so think of it like a a U-turn that you might make in your life. One one day, you're headed one direction, but then you bump into Jesus, and all of a sudden, you're looking to him for your identity, worth, and, and even direction in life. And so repentance is this continuous, ongoing, daily decision to remove ourselves from the picture. Here's the thing, and don't miss this, because this new life, it doesn't happen without death. You see, where there is no death, there is no life. God doesn't want more of you. And God doesn't want more from you. No, he, he wants all of you which requires you having less control over yourself. One of the very first times that this message of a new life uh, started spreading 2,000 years ago happened in the city of Jerusalem. And, and this guy by the name of Peter, he was a close friend of Jesus, he stood up in front of thousands of people uh, in the city of Jerusalem, and, and he started just talking about Jesus and what he had done. And, and his message that day basically went like this. Hey, do you remember that Jesus guy who walked these streets about a month ago? Everybody's like, yeah, we, yeah, we remember him. And he said, you crucified him. You remember that? And the guy that you crucified, that you asked to be killed and murdered, that was God. And so they kind of have this moment where uh, they, they realize, we messed up. And so they say, well, you know, we, we didn't know. And so the Bible explicitly says that, that they had this moment of conviction, this deep sorrow, so much so that the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. And so they said, well, wh- what do we need to do? And so here's, here's how Peter responded, he said, repent, in other words, think differently about your life and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, heaven, it can be yours today. God will actually live inside of you. And so maybe this is why giving up everything to follow Jesus was clearly understood for these new Christians in the early church. The New Testament tells us that whenever someone became a Christian, baptism was an immediate response when they became aware of what Jesus had done for them. Now, back then, following Jesus meant that that they were forsaking whatever tradition, whatever religion that their mom and dad had raised them in. Baptism was literally a decision to to face ridicule and, and to be a minority in their community. Now, in a lot of instances, being baptized in the, in the ancient world was basically a way that someone was putting a target on their back for persecution, for difficulty, and, 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 and for tough stuff in life. Therefore, being ashamed to be baptized in front of others, if anybody were to say, do I, do I have to do this? It might, it might reveal a hesitancy to completely live for Jesus after baptism. Almost nine years ago, all right, I stood up on stage at my home church and I married my best friend. I married my uh, childhood sweetheart, Savannah, and and we're celebrating our nine years uh, next month. That is such an accomplishment for her. All right, it's just amazing. (laughs) Now, can you imagine if I went to Savannah before the day of our wedding? I said, "You know what, Savannah? I'm. Do we really have to? Do we really have to exchange vows?" I mean, do, do we have to give each other rings during the ceremony? Because rings are kind of expensive. That tux is going to feel a little bit awkward on me. And, and the ceremony standing in front of all our friends and family members. I mean, I'm just going to feel out of place. And, and, and can't we just give each other our word and not sign that marriage certificate, the, the, the license from the government? I mean, do we really have to do that? I mean, how would that go over if I went to Savannah and said that? Not good, all right? I don't have to get married. But I chose... I chose to get married because it was, it was the best thing for me. It was the best thing for us. And, and so if I were to be hesitant about doing that in front of other people, then that might reveal that, that I'm maybe not ready for commitment to Savannah from there on out. Now, this past week, I was talking to my pastor growing up, and he was telling me about an email, that he was, uh, an email chain that he was recently on. One of his friends had emailed out to a couple different guys, and <laughs> I just got to share it with you. He said this, He said, hey, I have two tickets to the U.S. Open next month, but I just realized that I'm getting married that day, and I can't go. If you're interested in going in my place, it's at St. Paul's Church, and her name is Emily. (laughs) And So you know what? If if you have to ask to have to be baptized, not to be judgmental, not to look down on you whatsoever, but that just might be an indicator to you that, you know what, may, maybe, you're not, maybe you're not ready to follow Jesus. Because when you're baptized, you are literally saying to everyone, even to yourself, Jesus is number one in my life. He comes first. His opinion, his perspective, everything about him takes priority over all other people in my life. Now, for a lot of us, this is going to hit a little bit closer to home because if you choose to be baptized, you wonder, what will my spouse think? What will my kids think? What will those in my small group think? What, what will my mom and dad think? Now, if you've been coming to Crossroads here for a while now, you know that uh, we, we immerse. Okay, we, we baptize by immersion. That simply means that, that you go completely underneath the water, okay? And uh, for some of us who have been raised in a more liturgical tradition, you were brought up in a Catholic church, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopalian, or, or maybe a Methodist church. Some of those churches sprinkle. Now, why don't we sprinkle here at Crossroads? Why don't we baptize babies? It's a great question. We get that a lot. And for some of us here today, we even wonder, I, I was sprinkled as a baby, and my parents had me baptized when I was a baby as a child. Do I really need to be immersed? I mean, why, why go through that? Well, understand first and foremost that that whenever the, uh, the Bible talks about baptism, it comes from this Greek word, baptizo, and it literally means to immerse, to go completely beneath the water, okay? And so... We simply are just trying to stay faithful to the Bible over what some tradition uh, may say. Now understand that sprinkling in the church came about hundreds and hundreds of years after the start of the church. And it really started out of an issue of convenience. And and if you were to study church history, you'd understand why they started practicing it that way at the time. But then all of a sudden, that tradition started getting passed down from generation to generation. And then uh, slowly getting away from what the Bible uh, originally said was, was right and true. Now understand this. Okay? If you were a part of a Catholic church or some type of liturgical tradition, I can identify with you. Okay? I was born into a Catholic family over in Louisville, Kentucky. And if you don't believe me, I was named after a pope. Okay? John Patrick Paul Garcia, I've got you beat. All right? Now, when I was three months old, my mom and dad had me sprinkled as a baby in front of our church at the time. And i got to tell you something. I am so grateful for that moment in my life, though I was not aware of it at the time, because that was my mom and dad's way of saying, hey, here, here's our son. We want him to grow up to know and love and serve Jesus. And so we're just doing the, the best thing that we know to do in order to dedicate him to the Lord. And so if that's your story too, be grateful for what your mom and dad or, or grandparent did for you in the church that you were born into. But I understand that, that years after, uh, my family switched to a church much like Crossroads in the Louisville area. And I came to this moment in my life where I realized that, that Jesus isn't just somebody that I can inherit from my mom and dad. It's not just somebody that can be passed down to me. No, I've got to make my faith my own. And so signifying that decision to, to follow Jesus myself, I was immersed because in the Bible, whenever someone chose to follow Jesus, they were immersed. Now, here's the thing. Whenever I was immersed in our new church, it might seem like I was undoing what my mom and dad had done for me as a baby in the Catholic church, but understand, it was not that at all. If anything, when I chose to be baptized myself, I was simply completing what my mom and dad had done for me at a very young age. It was my way of saying, hey, thank you, mom and dad. Thank you you for, for raising me to know and love the Lord. Now, I'm choosing to take this faith thing on myself and and I'm being baptized. And so some of us, that's our story and and you maybe haven't been immersed but for you, for you to go your next step in your relationship with Jesus, this is maybe what he's calling you to do. It's just simply an act of obedience. It's how Jesus was baptized. All right, here's the the last and final thing that reveals we're ready for a new life or here's the third thing that we say when we're baptized. I, I wanna live free from fear. I want to live free from, from fear. You see, fear dominates our life more than we realize. Psychologists say that you and I are actually born with only two fears, and that is the fear of noises and the fear of falling. And so that means every other fear that we absorb in life is something that we learn, is something that we take on ourselves. And so could that also mean that we can unlearn some of these fears as well? Take a look at verses 4 through 5 in our text. Paul says, we were therefore buried with him, Jesus, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live this new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. In other words, heaven, heaven is available to us today. It's available to us right now. It's not something that we have to wait on. And so one of the promises that Jesus comes to you today with is this, hey, every fear that you have I can take care of it, including the fear of death. You see, Jesus came back to life so that we wouldn't be enslaved to our fear of death. And so what would your life look like if you never experienced any kind of fear whatsoever from here on on out? I've talked with a lot of you. Honestly, some of us are so obsessed with the fear of dying that we haven't really spent a lot of time living, right? But you see, this new life that Jesus invites us to is an invitation to be free from worry and anxiety because he's got you covered. You see, heaven is now our reality today, and it's our focus for the future as well. This past week, I came across a journal that um, is up in my office. I don't know why I have it, but it belonged to my my dad for a long time. And I opened up to this certain page where um, my dad just wrote out some thoughts about 12 hours after his dad passed away 11 years ago. So it was the next morning, and he he just was trying to cope with all this loss. And and as he took a pen, he, he wrote in this journal these words. He said, Dad went to be with the Lord, but in Christ there is life. So that means that in death there is life as well. You see, during one of my dad's darkest moments... He was able to hold on to this hope and this belief that the best is yet to come. And so let me just ask you, do you spend so much time afraid of dying that that again, you don't really spend much time living? For some of us our greatest fear is someone figuring out who you really are. Someone figuring out what you really did in the past. You're haunted by the thought that, that that memory would actually come to light. But you see fear loses its power the moment we drag those things out into the open. The moment we bring that darkness out into the light. You see your guilt, your shame, your fear, your insecurities, whatever that stuff is in your past, it doesn't have to define you any longer. Those lies, those whispers that you hear in your mind over and over again, it doesn't have to be true for you anymore. And can I tell you something it's not that jesus doesn't know it It it's not that jesus hasn't seen what you did it's not that jesus isn't aware of the shame that you take on yourself no in fact he sees all that and do you know what he says i'll take care of it i'll pay for it you see it's possible it's possible for us to experience freedom here and now one of the first things we're told that jesus said after he was baptized is he said hey hey everybody Repent. In other words, think differently about your life because the kingdom of heaven is near. And so do you know what that means for us today? The kingdom of heaven means because it's close, that those whispers, those lies, the labels that have been thrown onto us, we've believed about ourselves, they become less and less true. That we can walk in freedom here and now. Now, don't take my word for it if you're still a little bit skeptical. About a month ago, we, we shared with you this story of a girl named Kristen who... First came to Crossroads back in the fall and, and we, we showed her video of what it looked like for her to bump into Jesus and begin this new life. What we didn't show you when we showed that during our Easter service is what it looked like for her to be baptized and what she was thinking and even her challenge to a lot of us who are on the fence about it. And so what I want to do is I just want to briefly show you that part that we had to take out just for time purposes. And so check out Kristen Pender's uh, story here. Look at it with me. I wanna share my story for everyone out there who is in the exact same seat I was all those months ago. Um, if you're you know, feeling guilt, if you're feeling conviction of your past and you feel like you cannot move forward with Jesus, um, just know that you can. And if you're sitting there in that seat contemplating baptism um, because of all those reasons I had or some of your own, um, Just forget those and just let this be a moment for yourself and for Jesus and be baptized, be free uh, for the rest of your life. And just know that your past self, it, it doesn't matter anymore. I love that line, your past self, it doesn't have to matter anymore. The sad truth is a lot of us are gonna walk out of here today and we're still gonna to choose to hang on to our past because we think that we're no better than that one night or that one decision or that one relationship. But the truth is, according to God, it can be taken care of. You can walk in freedom today. So to some of us we need to make that decision. Would your life look any different if if you really were released from this fear? If you were released from your past, if you realize that your guilt and your shame, Jesus is actually taking care of it for you. He says, Yeah, I, I see that. I, I know I know what you did. And that's actually why why I died for you. And you can be forgiven. And so that's a decision that a lot of us need to make today. Now, one thing that may stand between you and making that decision is, is fear, is being afraid. Well, what will people think? I mean, uh, what will those who are with me think? I mean, if, if, I, if I go forward, I, I just, I don't like crowds. I, I, I don't know what my, my spouse will think. And, and yet what's interesting is that in the Bible, whenever God tells us to not fear, to not be afraid, we're told that about 365 times from the beginning to the end of Scripture. God tells us to not fear because he's also calling somebody to an action, all right? And so if you are afraid, then the action I want to call you to is to define your relationship with Jesus here and now and to be baptized. And so chances are you probably didn't show up today planning to be baptized. That's okay. We got you covered. All right. Most people who have been baptized this weekend had no idea that this was a step they were going to take. So we have towels, T-shirts, shorts, clean underwear. All right. Anything worse than wet underwear. Right. Both baptistries are heated. We have professional videographers and photographers taking photos of every baptism so that you can share with the people who aren't here with you today we've got hair dryers hairspray makeup toiletries deodorant everything that you could think or even need and you know what if you're afraid of crowds understand this so am i join the club but you know what today is your day that you stare that fear in the face and you proclaim who's actually greater and so maybe you're thinking about the people who came to church with you. that they, they won't wait on you. You've got somewhere to go. But you know what? I bet they will wait. And if they don't, guess what came to Evansville earlier this year? Uber. All right? And if you don't have money to pay for an Uber, I will personally pay for it. All right? Just come and see me backstage if this is a decision that, that you're going to make. Okay? So who's going to baptize you? Well, I can. not Another pastor on staff. Better yet, how about the person that brought you? A friend, a family member, or or the or the person who's with you today that really made an impact in your life? So rather than you coming to us down front and and walking through the the crowds and uh, that fear and that concern, we're we're gonna come to you. And so here in just a moment, scattered all throughout this room and in the chapel as well, uh, there will be volunteers in blue-colored shirts ready to receive you and walk you backstage. Simply step out of your row, walk towards them, and they will walk you backstage. They'll address any kind of fear, concern, anxiety, or question you might have, okay? And this is just our way of saying, hey, you're not in this alone. We're with you. You're part of a community now. And so I'm going to pray, all right? Now let's all stand up right now. But if this is a decision, listen here for a second, if this is a decision that you want to make, I want you to simply take the words that I'm going to pray and I want this to be a conversation you have with God right now. And then when I say amen, you walk towards that volunteer and you choose to be baptized. Let's pray. God, I love you so much. even as long as I've been following you, I, I still have a lot of questions. I still have a lot of doubts. And, and I can only imagine how many questions and doubts many of us have in here today. We have fears, we have insecurities and, and things that just don't add up, things that don't make sense. But but here's what I do know. I've sinned. I've unqualified myself to be in a relationship with you. Yet, you didn't want heaven without us. And, and so you, you actually came to earth to pay what, I couldn't pay to, to do what Lord we, we need done in our life and that is to rescue us from our sins. And so all over again today, God, I choose you and I wanna to look towards you from, from this day forward. And so the closer we get to you, I ask that, that our fears would just lessen and lessen uh, with time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.